0: Chapter 29. Rom's Dream. The dark room was familiar. Racks and racks of costumes filled the space, along with shelves filled with hats, helmets, swords, wigs, and boxes he knew to be filled with any and all types of accessories and knickknacks. He knew the floor above him to be the stage of the high school auditorium. He could hear occasional footsteps on the wooden floorboards. He sat still, as quiet as he could, knowing that they were looking for him. He didn't want to be found. It was that day, his sophomore year, when Julian would come to take him to register for the class at the UNM branch across the street, the pre-business course, the course he would later calculate that was the first step toward his MBA. There was a knock on the door that opened to the parking lot outside. Ron, are you in there? It was Julian's voice. Once upon a time he had answered it, having felt a wave of nausea come over him at the thought of his father finding out that he had been hiding. Then Julian and he had walked across the overpass and up the hill to his future. But this time he kept silent. Rom, open up!' He was petrified, not even breathing. Did Julian know he was hiding? Could Julian sense his fear, his shame? He looked over at the other door in the dark, far corner of the room, the door that had led to the system of steam tunnels that crisscrossed beneath the entire campus. He had been down there before, despite stern warnings that trespassing there would result in suspension. For the members of the high school theater club, it was almost a rite of passage. More knocking. Rom! How could Julian know that he was in here? Why didn't he move along and search for him somewhere else? He ducked between two racks of clothes toward the door, reaching up to a nearby metal brace on the wall, he felt for the key, the knowledge of whose existence and location had been passed from friend to trusted friend for what he assumed had been generations. He opened the door, replaced the key, ducked into the darkened corridor, and closed the metal grated door behind him. The light coming through the door illuminated an old school desk sitting near the entrance, but otherwise it was dark. The knocking had stopped outside, and he wondered for just a moment about the possibility of Julian giving up. No, Julian would be back with a key, there was no doubt he would have to keep going. He reached over and flicked on the light switch, illuminating the long hallway and the fallout shelter area alongside. He dodged quickly around the dusty, long unused furniture and made his way toward the other end of the corridor. He turned the fall of the tunnel that went under A-Wing. As he reached out for another light switch he knew to be just around the corner, he was thrown off to have his hand meet not the metal switch box, but a doorknob. In the confusing darkness, he turned it. He pushed open the mysterious door, and the light beyond met his eyes suddenly, blindingly. It was the back room of his old shop, the small business he had started after finishing his MBA and realizing he could follow his own dreams of going into video production while still making his father proud. The shelves were lined with halfway-working videocassette players, cameras and boxes and boxes of tapes, cables, and other parts, all gathering dust in the afternoon sun that streamed in through the high windows. He stopped for a moment and looked around the shelves, the equipment, even the lamps, all purchased with funds fronted by his father, who at length had come to see his vision for the fledging company. But of course, these video cameras would never be repaired. The company would fail, and his father would never see the return on his investment. He walked around the corner toward the front of the store, and all at once he was back in the dark mustiness of the tunnels. "'Rom, wait!' Julian's voice came from far behind and made him push forward with new urgency." Dodging between the file cabinets and the various lengths of old pipe, he moved toward the large open space he knew to be directly beneath senior lobby. He reached over for the next light switch and flicked it on. Again, everything instantly changed. He was at a party. Which one it was he couldn't recall. They had all been the same anyway. The people present were nameless, soulless, assembled under the flimsy guise of friendship, but there merely as convenient acquaintances. The real reason for the gathering was carefully measured out on small mirrors and glass tabletops, neatly divided into short parallel lines. The music was loud, thumping, and those who didn't have straws to their noses, leaning over with reddened faces, were sitting back, letting the white powdery stuff settle into their dazed minds. The image was one of deep, tragic hopelessness, and yet he ached to participate. He remembered the anticipation of walking into the room, the music blending into the feeling of release that would melt everything else away. There was a spot there, on the sofa. Carefully sculpted lines of the drug awaited him on the low, elegant coffee table. He moved closer, his body preparing for the high. And then the table, the music, and the light was all gone. He was looking down at a trapezoidal school table, its top chipped and covered with scratched initials and crude drawings. "'Rom, are you down here?' The voice was getting closer now. The darkness provided suitable cover from his pursuer, but made movement much more difficult. Several times he bumped into something as he moved as quickly as he could, feeling along the wall for the southwest passage that went toward the gym. Finding it, he ran down the relatively clear corridor, ducking to avoid the valves jutting down from the steam pipes overhead. Making it to the end of the straightaway and shimmying between the pipes at the corner, he continued on toward a dim light up ahead. He knew the swimming pool was nearby and his memory of being here before, refreshed by the smell of chlorine and the already damp air, gave him even more impetus to move forward than Julian's pursuit. As he burst into the area where he knew the pool's boiler system to be, however, he stopped abruptly. It was completely different than what he had remembered. The walls were lined with what looked like mainframe computers, cooling fans whirring and tape backup systems stopping and starting. He looked around for a terminal and his eyes landed on not a single screen but a panel of meters, switches, and lights. He tried to make out the engraved labels adorning the panel, but they were too dirty, blurry, and dark to make out. Even reading the dimly lit meters themselves proved difficult. The glass was clouded over and pockmarked. The system was operational, though, as he could see lights burning steadily and could feel the hum of electricity running through the units. As he stepped back to look for some way to identify the machine's purpose, however, His attention was instead drawn to a wavy blue glow coming from behind him. The memory flooded his mind as he moved toward it. It was a circular window that looked into the water of the swimming pool itself. The water was still, but he waited, knowing what would come. Suddenly, the gentle undulations of the water erupted in white bubbles as a swimmer dove in from the left and glided underneath the surface past the window. Clad in a black swimsuit, her slender, graceful form passed directly in front of the window, and she looked over to him as she passed, just as she had done all those years ago. As she disappeared to the right of the porthole, he leaned over and saw her stop and resurface. A moment later, she had made her way back toward the window where she submerged again, crouched in front of the glass, and peered in at him. He could see her green eyes behind the lenses of her goggles as her pupils adjusted to the dark of the tunnels, looking around at that submarine world she had apparently just discovered. To him, Time seemed to slow to a halt, as his eyes traced the beautiful curve of her cheeks and jaw, the delicate line of her lips, the strands of hair escaping from her swimming cap and floating freely in the water. Her eyes now met his, and an expression of recognition came across her face, widening her eyes and warming her lips into a friendly smile. He felt the warmth of her kind reaction move through his body as she gave a friendly wave. Feebly, he brought his arm up to return it, which resulted only in a stunned, slow-motion display of his palm, and apparently caused her to giggle, judging by the bubbles of air released from her now even wider smile. "'Rom?' He turned around, and Julian was there, standing amidst the panels of computers. His older brother looked to be nineteen or twenty years old, and wore a three-piece suit, tailored to fit his unusually tall and lanky form. His expression was one of confusion and surprise. He stepped in front of the window, as if to protect her, to hide her from Julian. His mind raced at how to react. His instinct was to run, but he couldn't, not now, not with her here, not where Julian could see his cowardice, not when his father would find out. But somehow the panic he felt seemed to resonate through the computer. There was the sudden furious clicking of repeatedly pegging meters, the beeping of audible alarms, the flashing of lights. Julian turned to a small terminal in the far corner of the room, now lit up with unfocused green characters behind the smoky glass. As he watched his older brother lean over, hold the sides of the screen, and gaze deeply into it, he turned, panicked, back to the window to see the girl, who could apparently sense the change. Her confused expression turned to horror, as all of a sudden he felt the lurch of a violent, seismic shift. Her head swiveled as though reacting to something behind her, and she quickly pushed upward with her legs to resurface. He watched as she stood in the chest-deep water, first frozen in apparent frightened anticipation, then quickly scrambling to move toward the side and pull herself out of the water as another shuddering vibration moved through the concrete walls. Then, amidst the din, he heard a snap and a slow, high-pitched creak. His focus went from the water beyond the window to the glass itself, as his eyes located the source a tiny crack in the lower center of the window. As the shaking continued, it appeared to be slowly lengthening. There was a gasp from behind him. Rom, Somebody jumped! He turned around. Julian was still staring into the terminal, upon which the blurry text was scrolling upward with an increased intensity. Jumped? He responded, petrified. From the bridge! Somebody jumped from the bridge! Julian turned to look at him with a hellish fire in his eyes. Rom was it you he was frozen with fear he wanted to run but his feet wouldn't move i he stammered his mouth suddenly dry julian i but as he struggled to form the words the air was torn apart with a deafening explosion as an incredible force threw him forward into the cold concrete of the opposite wall had he blacked out he struggled to regain both his consciousness and his footing in the now suddenly complete blackness the window was gone and hundreds of gallons of water were rushing through the gaping hole and filling the corridors. He searched in the rushing current for the floor beneath him, but it was to no avail. As he continued to wrestle with the relentless torrent, the density of the water surrounding him became thinner and thinner, not receding but somehow evaporating until it felt as though he was floating in the dark night air. As he felt gravity slowly take hold and begin to pull him downward, he reached out blindly into the nothingness that surrounded him. Somehow his left hand found a metal ledge, seemingly suspended in midair a few feet in front of him. While he felt the structure to which it was attached sway with the force of his added weight, it felt steady enough to hold him, and he brought his right hand up through the current of the wind that now enveloped him. The rest of his body went limp with fatigue, and he held fast as the starlight faded in and illuminated the canyon walls around him. He closed his eyes and dropped his head in exhaustion, feeling the now calm night air on his face. He opened his eyes again and was struck with terror as he gazed hundreds of feet below him to the dark canyon floor. Of course he knew exactly where he was. He looked up. The rusted gas main was directly in front of him running underneath the metal grating of the walkway to which he desperately clung. The pain of the dull metal cutting into the circulation of his fingers was intense. He reached his right hand, which seared with pain, farther toward the middle of the walkway in an effort to relocate the site where the edge of the grating pierced his palm when he heard a commotion down the bridge to his left. Footsteps, the vibrations of which reverberated along the walkway, approached rapidly but haltingly. "'Ram, are you out here?' It was his father's hushed voice, weary and worried. He froze and the pain in his hands was momentarily forgotten as a cold chill went through his body. What would he think if he saw him out here, if his father found out that he had run away? Rom, where are you, son? He wanted to cry out, to swallow his embarrassment and cry for help, but he couldn't bring himself to do it. He had made his father so proud, pretending to be the man he would never be, appearing to live up to the dream that was inaccessible to an imperfect, flawed son. How it would crush his father to see him in this state. How it would disappoint him. His father had not yet found him, because the tears came silently. He wanted so badly to be in his embrace, to feel his overflowing pride, to hide his failures forever, so his father would never find them. He looked down to stifle his sobs and saw the canyon floor, and he remembered. Yes, it had been the best solution, the only sure way to make it all vanish so that he could never let his father down again. Wrong. He let go, slipping willingly into the darkness. First, he was back at the porthole. She was there, her hands on the window, her warm, caring smile, world separated by the thick, strong glass. Tammy, he whispered. Her smile faded as he continued to fall into the darkness. Then he awoke in the clearing. But he was not alone. Vicky lay on her side, still, her back to him. He did not know if she was awake or asleep, alive or dead. He thought to reach his hand out to rouse her, but then pulled it back, afraid of the answer. Then he awoke in his quiet bed, alone.